If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. We're going to be in chapter 1, verse 1. My intention as your pastor is for my regular practice to be preaching through books of the Bible, to start in verse 1 and to go all the way through. There will be times that I do something different, times that we might veer off in the middle of a book and go do something else for a couple of weeks, but this will be the normal practice of me preaching here, my preaching ministry here. Uh, And my plan is to put out a sermon calendar every six months so that you guys know what's coming, so you can see where I'm going to be, how long we're going to be in those different books. And I intended to have one for you today, but the printer next door was giving me fits And it likes to print random lines on the paper at different spots. And so it made it very hard to read. And so I don't have that for you this week, but I will have it for you next week. I promise Uh, we're going to be through the end of this year. My plan, by God's grace, is to preach through the book of Philippians, then the book of Haggai, then the book of first Peter. And then we'll do a little short two sermon series there at the end of the year about the two comings of Jesus Christ. And so that, just so you know right up front, that's the plan for the rest of 2020 as we, as we study God's word together here on Sunday mornings. Uh, and, and I was praying about what book I should start with here at Evans Creek. And I actually was praying about that for a long time, even before I came in July in view of a call, even before I heard from Brother Scott that I was the candidate to be presented here, I had been praying about what I should start with. And I kept coming back to the book of Philippians. Because Philippians, I felt like, was a great place to start because it's all about living life as a Christian. It's all about how to be a Christian. And I have a mustache here in my mouth, excuse me. Um, it's all about how to live life as a Christian. And it's a very encouraging book a lot of Paul's letters are is Paul having to deal with some significant problems with different churches uh, where they're they're having some substantial struggles with theology and doctrine and practice and Philippians is a very encouraging place to start and so uh, that's why I made that decision so uh, with that said let's just go ahead and get started uh, with our study through the book of Philippians so let's look together Philippians chapter 1 and I'll read verses 1 and 2 to start It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing we see in our passage this morning is grace and peace. Paul, along with Timothy, begins this letter by identifying themselves as servants or slaves of Christ. Brother Mike this morning uh, was was leading us in a study through the book of Jude, and he talked rightly about how in in biblical language, when we see servants or slaves, it's talking about bond servants. So this is not someone who has been captured or kidnapped and forced into service. This is someone who willingly has submitted themselves to this. And so Paul and Timothy are, are starting this letter by saying, we are servants of Christ. In other letters, Paul is intentional about identifying himself as an apostle, as a way of asserting his authority over the churches. So when he's having to deal with issues of doctrine and practice, he says, I am an apostle, so you have to listen to me. But here with the Philippians, he identifies himself 
as a servant. He wants the, the church at Philippi to recognize the proper role of a leader. A leader in the church is supposed to be a servant. First and foremost, a servant of Jesus Christ, but also a servant to the church at large. In Matthew chapter 20, uh, it says this, but Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So as the letter is addressed to the church as a whole, but specifically to the overseers, a.k.a. pastors and deacons, his message right from the start is that service is the calling of the men who lead the Lord's church. Service is going to be a recurring theme throughout the book of Philippians, which is why I chose to title our series, as you see on the screen, To Live is Christ. As long as we have breath, it is our calling to serve the Lord. This is the example that we see in Jesus Christ himself, who gave his life in service to the Father's will, rather than to serve his own comfort. We also see Paul using the standard early Christian greeting of grace and peace. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is often a part of these letters, these books that we simply overlook. We breeze through it because it's just the, it's the greeting. We just read it and move on. But there's something here that I want us to see. I want us to really consider what it means when Paul says this here to the Philippians. The first one is grace. Grace is typically defined as God's unmerited favor. You've probably heard that definition before. That's a good definition. It's an accurate definition. But I want us to think of grace in a more personal way this morning. Grace is God's love and mercy and kindness that he has given to us simply because he wants to. We haven't done anything to earn it. We certainly don't deserve it. But God has decided of his own accord to give those things to us. I'm a parent. I have two children. There are things that I am required by law and by God to do for my children. I am required to provide for them, required to take care of them. But there are things that I do for my children that are extra, that are above and beyond because I love them. I'm not required by God or by the law to let my daughter watch Doc McStuffins. But sometimes I let her watch Doc McStuffins because I love her. I don't particularly love that she walks around the house singing the Doc McStuffins theme song for the next 72 hours. <laughs> but I give her that because I love her. That is how we should think of God's grace. God gives us mercy and kindness and love because he wants to. Not because he has to, not because he's bound by anything. He simply wants to. That is what grace is. And the chief evidence of this grace is Jesus Christ himself, given freely to us by the Father. That is the highest evidence of grace that we can see. And this highest grace is what brings about the peace that Paul refers to, which is not a freedom from conflict or suffering, but this peace specifically is peace with God himself and freedom from his wrath being poured out upon us as a result of our sin. 
When Paul says grace and peace, he wants you to know you are loved by God and you have peace with God because of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, this greeting is meant to be a reminder to us as believers of the goodness and mercy of God that we see in Jesus Christ. It's something for us to set our minds on always. When we suffer, we are reminded of the goodness of God. When we are lonely, we are reminded of the love of God. When we are struggling with sin, we are reminded of our peace with God. So brothers and sisters... When we read those words, grace and peace, those are not something to just go, go through quickly because they're part of a greeting. This is an encouragement and a blessing to our hearts. And I hope that it is to you this morning. The next thing we see here in our passage today is we see that God does the work. Let's look together at verses 3 through 6. It says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. As we move into the body of the letter, Paul begins with thankfulness for the Philippian church. This church has been a blessing to Paul, and it shows in his prayers for them being marked by joy. When Paul talks about his praying for the Corinthian church, he talks about how he has prayed for them in, through tears. But when he talks about praying for the Philippians, he talks about praying for them with joy. And what, what is the cause of this joy in Paul's heart when he thinks about the church in Philippi? It's that they have been partners with him in the gospel. This certainly means that they have been financially supportive of Paul in his work and in his travels, but it's deeper than that. The Philippians have a deep personal care and love for Paul and his well-being, but also they have those things, those things for the lost. And this is not just a season of time for the Philippians. It's not just something that they've done for a couple of months. This is something that Paul says has persisted from the first day, which would mean that the day they first knew Jesus Christ, is the day that they decided to partner with Paul and they have partnered with Paul in the gospel ever since and they've done it joyfully. And they did that because they know the importance of the message. But there's something that's deeper at the root of Paul's thankfulness for the Philippian believers and that is the, that he has confidence in God. When Paul says here that he is sure of this in verse 6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. When Paul says he is sure of this, he is speaking with absolute certainty. This is not a guess. This is not an I hope so. This is not even a probably. This is Paul saying, I know this with certainty. If you are a Christian... If you are in Christ, then the work that God began in you will be brought to completion. That's a fact. That's a biblical fact. In Baptist terms, we call this once saved, always saved. In ancient theological terms, they refer to this as the perseverance of the saints. If you are in Christ, you will always be in Christ. There is nothing that can take you away from being in Christ. Because it is God who...
who does the work. It is not dependent on me. It is not dependent on you. It is dependent on God. And God never fails. We are not the ones making ourselves to be holy. God is making us holy. He is making us holy in Christ. Now, this is not intended to diminish our role because as Christians, we do strive for Christ-likeness. And if you don't strive for Christ-likeness and you say that you're a Christian, those two things don't add up. And I'm not great at math, but that's a math problem even I know that doesn't work. And so if you are not striving for Christ-likeness, if your heart is not drawn to be more like Jesus, then you really need to examine your heart. But if you are a Christian, you have confidence because God is working. Because we are incapable on our own of moving from unrighteousness to righteousness. We can't do that ourselves. It requires the work of the Holy Spirit in us and the blood of Jesus Christ. Paul reinforces this thought in chapter 2, verse 13, where he says, It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The work is done by God. Apart from the work of God, we don't even desire God at all. He is the one who begins that work, and he is the one who will bring it to completion when Jesus comes back. The book of Hebrews says that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. He, he begins it and he ends it. And along the way, we strive for Christ-likeness, trusting God to do the work. So remember what we said earlier about how grace and peace is a reminder for us? This is how we have confidence in that reminder. This is how we have confidence because we know God is working and we know God never fails. And so we can look at grace and peace and know I have peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And God shows favor to me because he shows me grace, because it is God who works. We can look to the work of God in us and trust him to complete it in us. We are not finished, but one day we will be. And we can rest in that truth as we strive together to be Christ-like. The next thing we see is that we are filled with the fruit of righteousness. Let's look together at verses 7 through 11. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. We see here that Paul has a special affection for the church in Philippi. And he says that it's right for him to feel this way about them because he holds them in his heart. Think of it this way. As a pastor called by God, I love the church. Amen. I love every church. Every church that has ever or ever will exist on this planet, I love them. But this church, Evans Creek Baptist Church, has a special place in my heart. Because this is the church that God has given me 
to shepherd. And you all are partners with me in the gospel. So you have a special place in my heart. And that is how it is supposed to be. And not only does the Philippian church have a special place in Paul's heart, Paul says that they are, quote, partakers with me of grace. Partakers with me of grace. And I love that phrase. So think of it like this. This carries the, the, the imagery, the connotation of sitting down together at a large banquet table. I know we're all Baptists and we don't know anything about sitting down together <laughs> at a table, correct? Think about this. We, we are sitting down together at this huge table and we are enjoying the same meal. That is the kind of imagery that Paul is using there when he says partakers with me of grace. That they together are collectively enjoying what God has given them. This is how we should view our church's experience of grace together as a body. As though we are sitting down together in fellowship and being served this love and favor by God himself in Christ Jesus. The Philippians did that with Paul even when they weren't physically together. In fact, they were still partakers of grace with Paul in his imprisonment, which was of great encouragement to Paul as he shared the gospel with his captors and persecutors. They still financially supported him. They still loved him. They still stood with him. They still were trying to bless him at a time in Paul's life where it would have been easy for them to turn their backs on him where it would have been easier for them to say, hey, listen, this guy's in jail. He's not somebody we should really associate with or affiliate ourselves with. We should turn away from Paul. No, they kept partnering with Paul and encouraging Paul because they were partakers with Paul of grace. We should be encouraging each other to be partakers of grace together as we all seek to be more like Jesus every day. This is what the calling of the church is. The calling of the church is to be partakers of grace together. And so we should encourage each other in that. And this reality, this love that Paul has for them as partakers of grace leads into Paul's prayer for the Philippians. And this is the same prayer that we should be praying for our church here at Evans Creek. The first thing he says, he says, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. We should pray that our love grows. Our love for each other, our love for the community, our love for the lost, but more than anything else, our love for Jesus Christ. We should be praying. I pray for you. I have been praying for you for months now that your love for God would grow. Pray for each other. Pray for me that my love for God would grow. Because the only way we can love the way we are called to love is by loving God first. But I want to be clear about something. This is not the kind of love that we see the world talking about. The world talks about love as a type of blind acceptance. If you really loved me, you would support me. If you really loved me, you would allow me to be whatever I feel in my heart I am today. That is not the kind of love 
that the Bible talks about. That's not the kind of love that Paul is talking about. Because what does Paul say? He says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. With knowledge and all discernment. This is a love that is rooted in knowledge and discernment. An understanding of the scriptures and an understanding of what is right and wrong. And so we love people enough that we tell them the truth. We love people enough that we tell them the truth. It is not loving for us as a church to hang a rainbow flag outside and say, hey, listen, if you're gay, that's okay. Come in here and God loves you just like you are. There are so-called churches all over this country that are doing that very thing. And that is not love. That is hatred. That is hatred for those individuals who are going to face the wrath of God dead in their sin. Love has knowledge and discernment and is willing to say what is right and what is wrong. And so we must have that kind of love for one another and for the world. That's the kind of love Paul is praying for us to have. This type of love, Paul says, approves what is excellent. Approves what is excellent. Not in the 80s surfer lingo excellent, where everything is excellent. But in the biblical understanding of the word excellent, which means that it is excelling, it is perfect. That's the kind of things that we should be approving of. That's the kind of things that we should celebrate. One of the things that I love to see a church celebrate is anniversaries. I love to see a church celebrate anniversaries because that's, a, that's an excellent thing. Marriage is an excellent thing given to us by God. And so as a church, we should celebrate those things. We should, we should lift up those things rather and lifting up what the world says is excellent. That is what we are called to do. And then as our love abounds in these ways, Paul says, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. This is accomplished by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross being applied to our lives by God in sanctification. In that same way that we talked about earlier. We cannot be pure and blameless on our own. Brother Scott, you work with teenagers. You ever met one who's pure and blameless? No, me neither. Imagine that. I got children, and they sure are cute, but they're not innocent. They are little bundles of sin. Just being honest. It's funny to me. I, I've, I've had an experience, just as a little bit of an aside, I've had an experience. I think all parents understand the biblical doctrine of total depravity. I think all parents really understand it because they have children and they recognize how sinful their children are. And then there's like a switch that gets flipped when parents become grandparents and it's like they forget. My grandbaby could never do that. My mom would have been the first one to tell you how her three sons were despicable sinners. But when her granddaughter does something, well, you know, she's having a really hard time. It's like, you're right. In her flesh, that's where she's having a hard time. 
We are not pure and blameless, and we never can be unless we are given the righteousness of Jesus Christ by God. And then we're pure and blameless. Praise God, because we can't do it ourselves. And so here we are, pure and blameless, because we are in Christ. And so Paul prays there at the end that they would be and we would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 30 says, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Christ is the righteousness that is given to us. At the cross, there is something called double imputation, where Christ takes on our sin. It is imputed to him. So think of imputed as the opposite of amputated. All right, amputate, they take something away. Imputed, something is given. Christ is given our sin, and we are given his righteousness. And so we have the righteousness of Christ in us if we are in Christ. And we bear the fruit of his righteousness in us. You see that? That's what Paul says here. He doesn't say you're filled with, the, filled with righteousness because you already have Christ. You're already filled with righteousness. He is praying that we would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, one thing that you will hear me say over and over again you can write this down, tattoo it on your forehead, whatever you got to do. Everything that is good in me is God. All the bad, that's all me. But everything that is good in me is God. And so Paul here is reinforcing that idea, saying filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Anything that is good in us is from God. And this is not done so that people would look at us and be impressed by our holiness. This is not done so that people would look at us and say, man, that guy really is a good, solid Christian. What does Paul say? To the glory and praise of God. That is why God does this. To glorify himself. Not to lift Corey high. Not to lift any of us high. But to lift high Jesus Christ. To lift himself high. That all the world would look and see that person knows Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's where our hearts are supposed to be set. Is directing people toward giving glory and praise to God. Remember, brothers and sisters. When you start to get full of yourself as a Christian. You're not really being full of Christ. So how do we take this passage and apply it to our lives? What do we do with this, this week, this month, this year? The first thing I would tell you is that we serve God. We serve God. Remember that your life belongs to God. It does not belong to you. Every breath you take is a gift from God. And so our purpose is to serve him. As long as we live, as long as we draw breath, we are called to serve God. You might be 112, completely blind, and can't walk. You can still serve God. And if you don't know how, I'll tell you. Serve God. 
The next thing we can do with this is we rest in grace and peace. Don't be disheartened by your struggles. Don't be beaten down by the world. Don't be discouraged by suffering. You have favor in the eyes of God simply because he has chosen to show you favor. And that favor will never go away. You can never lose it because you didn't do anything to earn it in the first place. The next thing you can do is remember that God does the work. Have confidence in what God is doing in you because he's always working. Even Paul, even the Apostle Paul wrote in Scripture, the things that I want to do, I do not do. And the things that I don't want to do are the things that I do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Your struggle against sin is not unique to you. It's something that we all face. Remember that God is working in you. And he's not done. He's not done yet. The next thing you can do is partake of grace. Encourage one another to sit at the table of God's goodness. How can you do that? Read God's word. Read God's word. Read God's word. Brothers and sisters, the most important thing you can do as a Christian is to read your Bible. Amen. There is nothing more important. You can get in your car and listen to Christian radio and sing at the top of your lungs with the windows rolled down, and that's all well and good. But if you don't read your Bible, that's nothing. You can come to church every time the doors are open. You can participate. You can do all these different things. But if you don't read your Bible, you will not grow. Read your Bible. If you want to know and experience the grace of God, read God's word. All of it, even all the begats, they're important, I promise. Read the word, pray, and enjoy Christ together. Christ is our life. Christ is our life. And as a church, it's great for us to talk about things like LSU football, go Tigers. It's great for us to talk about the things that are going on in our lives and the things that are going on in our families. But you know what should be the thing that dominates our conversations? Jesus Christ. He should be what dominates our conversation. So partake of grace. And then the last point of application this morning. Pray for the church. Pray for the church that our love would abound with knowledge and discernment and that we would be filled with the fruit of righteousness so that we can give glory and praise to God. Pray for the church as a whole. Pray for me as your pastor. Pray for our deacons. Pray for our leaders. Pray that our love would abound. Brothers and sisters, let's be partakers of grace together because it's what Christ has called us to. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the great love and mercy that you have shown us. Thank you, Father, for the ways that you have worked in our lives and continue to work. Father, thank you for the reassurance that you will work for us 
until the day you call us home. That you will continue to make us more like Jesus Christ in all these things. Father, thank you for the gift of Christ, who is our life. We pray this in his name. Amen.